Do you hear these birds? These are my friends slash enemies. Uh, frenemies. <laughs> there is a huge flock of these same birds. You hear them? They're fighting. Or actually, it's the mating season, so I don't even want to know what they're doing. But anyway, they're making a ton of noise. And they are right now one of the most obnoxious things in the morning because they start making this noise right outside my the window of my uh, of my bedroom at seven o'clock in the morning. But wait, there is more. They are also trying to build nests, and in order to do that, they want to look for sheltered places. Let's say, for instance, the roof of the church, the church tower, the little protrusions on the roof and what they're doing is they are using their beaks to literally uh, punch holes in the roof uh, our church is a hundred years old the roof uh, is in serious need of repairs and these birds this year for the first time have discovered the vulnerability and the weakness of the roof and so they are tapping on the roof tiles um, and even uh, succeeding in in, in, in uh, making holes in, in the roof of the church. This morning I climbed uh, into the tower of the church and then walked over a wooden plank over the, um, uh, the let's say between the ceiling of the, of the church and the actual roof and uh, noticed three huge birds' nests that they have succeeded to create there. And of course, that's the last thing you want, because now that there are holes in the roof, um, if it starts to rain, and it hasn't been raining for a while now, but it will eventually start to rain, we will get a serious damage to the ceiling and to the, the paint on the, on the ceiling of the church. And so the, the, the issue is with these birds, they are protected they are... Uh, you cannot kill them. <laughs> you cannot chase them. Uh, so you have to really leave them alone. But there is, in this small forest next to my rectory, a flock of, I would say, at least 300 of these birds. Um, I walked in the... Let's say in the garden part, in the, the, where there are all these trees where they, they gather in the evening and in the morning... And the plants, it was almost as if I was walking through a snow landscape. That's how much these birds leave their marks. <laughs> I'd rather have a bird like this one, just singing in the, in the dead of night. Uh, this is something I want to hear in the morning, not that that you just heard. But anyway, it is, uh, that's nature. It's got its good sides. It's also got its obnoxious uh, uh, moments. Oh, and so anyway, I'm up reasonably early nowadays. And of course, the the days are getting longer. So these birds are, are starting to make noise earlier and earlier. At first, I actually I thought there were people working uh, in the, on, the, on the floor level, the, 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 the ground level of the rectory. And so I went there in my pajamas to uh, yell at them because it was 7 o'clock in the morning. I didn't find anyone. And it took me two days to discover that it was actually the birds that I was hearing 
who were trying to punch holes in the roof of the church. Fun times. This is not the morning, though. This is the evening, and the temperature outside has cooled down quite a bit. Oh, look at these beautiful, gorgeous white flowers in this garden here. It's springtime. Everything is in full bloom. This this tree has beautiful pink flowers. I see uh, roses in that uh, garden. That's pretty early for roses. Oh, no, those are tulips, actually. And uh, uh, most of the trees now finally have leaves. These were completely uh, barren uh, last week. And now it's full of these very small light green leaves. So this is the perfect time of year, actually, uh, for for nature. Unfortunately, we're still in lockdown or semi-lockdown. So it's not that crowded uh, outside, especially not at this time. But... It is cooling down quite a bit. I think tomorrow the weather is turning a, a, a little bit. So it's still way too dry for this time of year. And there are some uh, some uh, fires also in uh, nature reserves in parts of our country. We're not used to this dry weather. The Netherlands usually are very wet. We have a lot of rain. But uh, eh, things are changing. All right. But... Um, I'm actually glad that this day is over and I'm recording this on a Friday evening. So I'm also kind of glad that this week is over. This was a super busy week. Um, I make long days and there's just... Like almost everything that I do is new. Most of it has to do with the coordination in our parishes of the live streams. And uh, we're also working really hard at... uh, uh, improving the equipment in the church, new cameras, new lights, audio equipment, uh, but also the arrangement of the church to, to be able to uh, placate all of our parishioners and make sure that they see a liturgy that is uh, the way it should be. Um, and so it's, it's got to be exemplary, <laughs> which requires uh, also some arrangements when it comes to how the church, is, well, at least the the, the uh, area around the altar is arranged. It's fun, but it requires so much communication <laughs> and uh, and also leadership. This for me has also been one of those weeks where I'm really I'm underneath the highway here. That's why it's so echoey. Um, this is a, a week where I really discover how much I've grown in leadership. Uh, abilities um, that's originally wasn't really a strong point of me I, I, I'm more the ideas p- person I have I'm very creative so I can come up with tons of ideas but I in the past always struggled with the execution and especially involving other people in making things happen but uh, right now in this complicated situation where we have two huge parishes um, with uh, so many different people that are somehow involved in this transformation of the way in which we are, par- are, are trying to be you know, close to our parishioners uh, that I really have to um, put a lot of effort in getting everyone in the same direction and uh, 
helping people to not only be enthusiastic, but also see the bigger picture, understand why we are making changes. So um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm like a transitional manager and I have to take the lead in many of these changes because I'm the first, uh, the, the person who is most involved right now in making this happen. And uh, I've, so I've learned a lot about how much I've grown myself in being able to do this. And I think that I'm really in, uh, taking advantage of having led uh, the Tridio Foundation for a couple of years now and uh, having had to take the lead when it comes to the production of my TV shows. Uh, the kind of my own growth in managing the international community uh, the YouTube followers, the social media followers, the podcast followers. I've, I think really, um, I say really a lot. I really, really say really a lot. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was interesting to see how all, uh, all those lessons learned now serve me well when it comes to uh, serving my parish. So I... Uh, immediately knew that if I were to make drastic changes and we're talking about not just uh, material changes in the way the this church is arranged and how it's lit and which equipment we we uh, purchase but also big changes in the way we do things and uh, <laughs> who we involve and 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 what, what we do and what we don't do uh, I, I immediately realized that I needed to have a mandate to do that so that would be my first lesson learned in order to lead you need to have the mandate to lead and so I explicitly asked for the backing of both the pastoral team and the two uh, uh, what is it the two boards of the church so there is always the parish pastor who is the formal lead the let's say the ceo you could say but then you also have uh councils of lay people or not 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 just councils they're actually um leading the parish uh and and usually they consist of uh, three or four or five people with different responsibilities finance finances the buildings etc um and i so i asked formally to to be able to make these changes and to make decisions uh, without getting the uh, the reaction that well that's just Father Roderick with another wild idea because I knew that if I would just do it on my personal initiative uh, it doesn't last and and you create a lot of confusion as to the status of the changes that I propose so now I can truly say this is what we're going to do. Make it so. And so I'm much more, even though formally in the parish my status is more uh, number one, you could say. I'm just, uh, you know, num definitely number two on the bridge. I'm not the captain formally. But I have now the... It's almost as if the captain is uh, on a away mission and I'm sitting temporarily in the captain's seat when it comes to this particular <laughs> exploration of this uh, liturgical space. And uh, so that's, that's the first thing I learned. I needed a mandate. I've gotten it. And that really helps. 
So now I can say to, let's say, the local people that are in charge, or I can explain, um, of course I understand that you've, you, you're used to taking the initiative here and to determine uh, what is done and what not, but I'm taking over. And it's not because I don't appreciate your work, it's just because you need to have one captain on the ship or on the bridge. And right now that's me <laughs> and not you. Uh, that was uh, actually easier than I thought it would be. Normally, um, I'm not used to do that. I always try to well, suggest maybe we could do that. Don't you think so? You try to find consensus. But I've seen here, and this is quite a new thing for me, at least in my own experience, is that um, if you take leadership and you have a clear vision of why you want these changes and why that's important, not for you, but for the community, and you explain that, then uh, you can just, say, make it so. And that's not going to be a problem. Uh, because, <laughs> in a way, uh, I've noticed that uh, a lot of parishioners in the situation actually appreciate it when someone tells them, this is the direction. That is one of the major flaws I think of our current situation in the Netherlands and maybe also in other countries in the western world in the church is that we by because of the lack of priests who are called to be leaders usually community leaders um, you have this substitute leadership uh, that is that is fulfilled by lay people and there is there's a lot to say for that and certainly don't want to go back to a situation where the priests are in charge of everything and you know the rest of the people just have to follow orders but what it what it often misses is this vision why do we do these things what is the purpose what is the meaning also of uh what the church asks there's already uh sometimes dissent about that within the ranks of the the pastoral team you know, some may not agree with what the church asks us to do or the bishop, let alone among our regular parishioners. But if you have a clear vision as a leader, why, why uh, you need, why you want certain priorities to be uh, to be uh, acted upon, that is actually gives you a lot of. Uh, efficacy, I should say, um, in, in, in making things happen. So if, if you know why you want things to do, uh, to do things in a certain way, uh, you sometimes just have to stop seeking consensus and just say, this is what we're going to do, this is why, make it so. And uh, I've had a number of occasions this week where I had to fulfill that role. That's to say, I was starting to crave Earl Grey hot <laughs> I was surprised actually that uh, that it was kind of felt kind of natural for me to take the lead even though I've not been the lead for many many years so anyway that was a good experience the second thing that you need um, when you want to lead is communication and that is also one of the toughest thing to do especially when you're in complex situations Usually, let's say on the bridge of the enterprise, you have uh, kind of a staged communication. Uh, you'll know that that the, uh, the the let's say the procedures that you see on the bridge of the enterprise 
have been taken from the world of submarines. That's why in the old Star Trek series you would have that weird uh, whistling sound when they're in form- on formal occasions you would always hear this, this uh, whistle like that, that was taken straight from the world of submarines but also the command structure resembles that where the captain gives an order and then the number one repeats that order and makes it formal and uh, sometimes also directs it to certain certain sections of the ship so the captain would say uh, straight ahead warp eight make it so and then the staged communication would be like someone giving the engine room the order uh give it full power and then uh maybe scotty will say well what, captain that's never gonna work we're gonna fly into it a, a moon or an asteroid and then well just do the best you can aye aye sir and and so the captain himself doesn't need to <laughs> cover all those bases that's why you have a number one. That's why you have other people that translate that that overall direction into uh, uh, separate commands for individual sections of the of the operation. That is something, ideally, that you would also have in a parish, where uh, there is a structure where the, the let's say the official pastor, the captain of the ship, would give the general direction. And other people would help translate those directions to the various parts of the parish. And even the captain himself is, is uh, uh, under the ultimate command of the bishop, who's like, say, an admiral in the, in the Star Trek world. Um, and the bishop is even for the bigger picture. And so that is why the church as a hierarchy... Um, has its advantages. It also definitely has disadvantages, especially if the, let's say, leaders at the top are, are dysfunctional, like we've seen in many places, you know, individual bishops or even in the Curia and the Vatican, where people were dysfunctional and causing great harm because they're of this hierarchical structure. It's not easy to always get rid of people that are dysfunctional. But um, in the par- on the parish level, I've noticed that because there have been so few leaders and priests are often asked to do a gazillion things to be a, you have to be a pastor you have to be a counselor you have to be a liturgical actor which is a tremendous requires a, a tremendous amount of time and also um uh concentration you not everyone is uh as let's say, uh, at ease with speaking in public, for instance. So I, I was, Monday I was visiting a colleague of mine and he said, you know, now, now that we're streaming our masses, I'm spending an entire day writing a homily because I want to do it so well and I know that people are, are watching this and I'm much more aware of what I say than I normally am. And I was thinking, my goodness, a day for a homily. <laughs> I normally don't realize how... Um, easy I have it that normally during the during the gospel I don't even know what I'm going to preach about that usually just appears or emerges and I'm certainly not going to sit down an entire day to write a homily writing a homily is something I haven't done for 20 years anyway the uh, the thing is priests nowadays are, are 
also having to be managers. They have to be financial advisors, or at least they have to be knowledgeable when it comes to the finances that are dire and usually in difficult. Uh, you have to be uh, an HR manager, so you have to take care of your other team members. And sometimes these teams consist of like six or seven people with different backgrounds, sometimes also different ideologies, church visions. And the pastor is supposed to do to be able to 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 do all that, to manage all that. So, and then not just for one location, for one church, but for like in my case, two pa- two big parishes, also geographically very big, uh, consisting of fusions of or, or mergers of 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 uh, previous parishes. So my parish, or the parish where I work here in Amersfoort consists of seven individual parishes that merged into one. The other parish has even more, I think like 12 communities that merged into one parish. And so one priest has to, you know, be the... Ha, ha, needs to carry the weight of that final responsibility for all these locations and all these communities. So no wonder that in individual locations... Lay people have taken over and have kind of filled in the, the gap of that leadership. Now, for when it comes to like day-to-day business, that's fantastic. That is wonderful that we have that. I know many countries where that's not the case and where priests are overworked and they don't have that support of the lay people. But it can also be extremely tricky when it comes to, um, to vision, and where are we going to... We are currently, I think, in many places in the world, in a time of transition and change. Uh, under Pope Francis, the church is changing very, very quickly. And so it's not just business as usual. You also need to really embrace that vision of where we are going because based on the vision, you make your day-to-day decisions. Otherwise, you're just keeping shop Uh, is that the term so you're just doing what you've always done but then things will only go downhill you can't stand still in these times you have to change with the world find new ways it's getting cold walking here on the countryside there's a beautiful little white farm here on my left with the red tiles on the rooftops and on my right they've just plowed the land and I think this is ready to be uh, prepared for corn or potatoes. Uh, but the sun is going down and the wind over these flat flat meadows is uh, getting stronger. Anyway, I do have a nice remnant of the sunset there on my left. Beautiful yellow sky and some blue, blue clouds. Yeah, but I'd better not not make this very <laughs> a very long walk, because otherwise I'm going to be walking in the dark. Um, so now that everything is concentrated in one place, and this is this one Church of Saint Joseph's, and we have to provide the at least for now the uh, streams of the one Eucharistic celebration or the one Mass that will bring all our parishioners together. I've noticed that that vision is lacking. And so that's the third thing you need to do. 
So first one is make sure that you have that you have a mandate to lead. The second one is you have to communicate that vision. Uh, but in order to communicate a vision, you need to have it first. And so the, you really need to know, why are we doing this? And for me, streaming these masses has actually serves multiple purposes or has multiple dimensions, not just a liturgical one. That's an important one, but it's not the only one. The second function that it has is a pastoral one. It enables us to be visually close to... Uh, and also verbally goes to the to our parishioners. It's like a podcast. It's like a YouTube video. Why do you keep going back to your subscriptions on YouTube? It's because you have a bond, a relationship to that YouTuber or vlogger. And you want to hear updates. You want to see that those people because they give you joy. They inform you. They teach you. Podcast is the same thing. Why do you keep change, uh, checking your podcast feed? It's because... You want to know what, uh, what's going on in the life of your favorite podcasters. Uh, it's, it's part of your, of your weekly or daily habits. Um, and you miss it if they're, if they're not there. And that's very similar, I think, to the pastoral function. Now that we cannot meet people in real life. Or I should not say real life because... Streaming is just as real. These people are real. I am real. But let's say now that we're, we can't meet each other physically, these digital means give us still an ability to be pastorally, pastorally close to our parishioners. And uh, that is part of why we do this. The third dimension is renovation or innovation. We are literally discovering new ways of serving our flock are tending to our flock and uh, many of these new ways for me are quite familiar because I'm already versed in well versed in in uh, digital communication audio or, or video but for most of my colleagues this is a completely new domain and a lot of them are doing this uh, by improvising I am surprised at how little direction is given how little help is given by our diocese by our bishop not not every bishop is uh, is an expert in digital communication but still they could organize some help and it's uh, I've got the feeling that they just leave it to us to figure it out which means that a lot of us have to invent the wheel reinvent the wheel one of the things that I've done in the past few weeks is coaching a number of my colleagues helping them set up their equipment, giving them advice on how to address their parishioners. Um, and even sometimes when people are eager to do something more than just streaming mass, brainstorming with them about other things that they could do with video. And one of my, uh, one of my friends is a priest who uh, used to be a parish priest like me in this diocese, and he uh, moved to uh, a monastery in Belgium. And uh, one of his fortes was always teenagers, uh, how to um, work with uh, teenagers, young people. And uh, he's a former scout and still has that, just this talent of reaching uh, young people and educate them and involving them. So I brainstormed with him and I said, well, you know what? You could just do, address them, make, teach 
teaching videos for these teenagers. Be as creative as, as possible. Use humor, different uh, camera views and scenes. Work with props. And he's a quick learner because today I saw his uh, teaching video about the sacrament of confirmation. And it's hilarious. At one point he is explaining the anointment. And then he goes into examples of what oil and ointment can do for you. And he's bald, very bald. And so he's, he's standing there under a tree outside and he said well the sun is shining so and i'm bald i used to have lots of curly hair but now i'm <laughs> but what do i do with this uh, this um, bottle of um, of sun uh, sun cream you know this is an anointment and then he just pours that bottle on top of his bald head and he's like rubbing it in it's like this is what ointment does it protects me it takes care of my skin it feeds my skin <laughs> That is the most hilarious explanation. But I'm I'm sure that people will remember that. And so he posted that video. And at one point he's repairing his car and then what the oil does for for a car. And and then he makes a... So it's it's, it's really good, funny catechies. It's very visual. And uh, he posted that on YouTube. Got a lot of reactions. Maybe not necessarily from the teenagers themselves, but still... It's, a, it's an effort where I'm thinking, that is innovation. I've not seen this kind of stuff from fellow priests in a long, long time. And it's still a bit clunky and there's room for improvement. So I taught him this morning, one of the ways to get a bigger audience on YouTube is you have to take care of your thumbnails as well. And so I created a thumbnail for him in Canva and told him how to do that and said, let me just work on that and make it interesting. So, of course, the screenshot that I used for the thumbnail was him <laughs> squeezing that bottle on top of his bald head <laughs> because it's funny and you want to know what's going on there. And you could never guess from the thumbnail that this catechese is about the sacrament of confirmation. So... Um, that is that is all part of the vision. You have to uh, think creatively, not just about the general direction, but also how can I? What are the different aspects of that core mission that we have? But everything should lead to in the, in in a, in a direction because you want to go from A to B and not stay put at A because A is no longer possible. <laughs> so leadership is always about direction and you only know which direction to take when you have a vision of where you want to go or where someone else tells you to go because it's not necessarily your own vision it can be the vision of an admiral when you're in starfleet or it could be the overall mission of starfleet itself like in picard where the whole series or at least the first season is about starfleet not being faithful to its own original mission anymore and then you need picard to kind of set a new course for the world, for for the United Federation of Planets or whatever, that helps propel the story. So leadership can't be uh, effective without a clear vision. Um, let's see, what else have I learned about uh, leadership? It is um, uh, diplomacy. Very important to learn 
how to convince people to join your cause. A good leader knows how to sell the vision. And that too was something that surprised me, how, how much that kind of came naturally to me. Uh, <laughs> in a certain way, every podcast that I record or every YouTube video um, is something that may contain interesting thoughts, but I also need to sell it. I need to convince people to, to listen to it. So, and that's true for a vision as well. And every type of, of, of future customer, if I put it in marketing terms, needs a, a different approach. If you want to sell something to, let's say, a colleague, a priest, you need to talk into, in, in terms that they understand. You need to uh, package the, the vision um, into, uh, well, in a, in a form that they can aspire to. Uh, a, a goal always needs to be attractive. If it's just following orders, you're going to have a very meager result. But the more attractive you can sell the vision, the more it is relevant to the person that you want to want, that you want to join your cause. The more you have to. To have a tailor-made approach. So, if I uh, translate that to my own situation, I had a number of pitches, basically sales pitches, that I had to make this week. Uh, let's start at, at home. So, the church. Uh, what I wanted is a new arrangement of the furniture on the altar, and uh, I even want to move the tabernacle which uh, always used to be in a central spot on the, uh, behind the altar. Within the 60s, the church was painted white and uh, uh, messed up also, let's be honest. <laughs> that was just the thing to do in the 60s. Now we all hate what they did. One of the things that they did afterwards was to place the tabernacle on a kind of uh, stone pedestal very ugly <laughs> really ugly they painted that thing white and then they fixed a cross to it but just a plain wooden cross no no uh no crucifix and and that was it and so it looks like this black box this this borg cube on top of a white pillar a sand pillar or whatever it looks like a science fiction thing it doesn't really belong in a 100 year old church with a very classic shape and atmosphere so that thing <laughs> has been uh, a a thorn in my foot and it's like ah, i wish they hadn't done it had i been in charge back then i would have never allowed him to do that and it's also because it is a stone pillar and it's I mean if only they'd made it with something a bit noble like marble or something but it is just a, a bunch of stones that they have probably had lying around and they just did an awful job it looks terrible and so I've been looking for ways to change that but it's just one of those things that everybody feels is a sacred thing you can't change that and oh it's been there for 30 years and I think yeah, that's just like a car that is parked in the wrong spot for more than a day. You can call that tradition. You also can call it an infraction <laughs> that needs to be penalized. 
that car has to move. And that's, that's how I look at that tabernacle. Yes, it's been there for 30 years. It doesn't mean that's the right place for it. And so, but in order to convince people, I need to sell that idea. I have to make clear that there is a very good reason to remove that pillar, to uh, place the tabernacle. I would like to have another tabernacle, a bigger one, because we can't even put the... Uh, our, our, um, uh, all of our liturgical stuff in it. I don't have the technical terms. But anyway, it's too small. Um, so for, for some people I can explain why I would like to have that more in the center. Visually, it's much more attractive if you have like a central focus point. But also just liturgically, it is right now, it's like literally they put Jesus somewhere in a corner and there is hardly any place to kneel in front of the of the uh, of the tabernacle. And I know that in the uh, more recent instruction from Rome, uh, they wanted us to move the tabernacle to its own chapel. We don't have any chapels where we can put the tabernacle. So I'd say if it stays on the altar or behind the altar, let's put it in a central place. It's the, it's containing the body of Christ, for goodness sakes. It's not something you put in a corner. But also, just the whole movement is wrong. It, it feels like I'm, I'm after communion, the remaining hosts, I have to like walk to the corner to put them in that little boar cube. I just, ugh. I would like to have a new tabernacle, slightly bigger, in a central spot, surrounded by candles, and in a, a noble place. I'm sensitive to that. I know a couple of parishioners that also understand that. But there are also many people that say, well, this is sacred. This is, this is new and modern. And you, putting the tabernacle in a central spot that is old-fashioned, etc. So there, sometimes I use the argument of the camera. Uh, 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 what do I see through the camera lens? This, uh, with it, we were working on new lights for the church. And so we need brighter lights on the altar. That, that pillar with a boar cube is bright white. And so it catches this huge amount of light, beams it back into the eyes of the camera and into the eyes of the spectators. Um, and it looks, it looks really out of place and weird. Plus, it creates a huge dark shadow behind that white pillar. So it looks even weirder and even more, even more ugly when you put light on that altar uh, area. So I use that argument to explain why, for camera purposes, it may be better to find a new location. And then there was yet another group, and they are uh, more... They're not really too interested in, the, let's say, the, the symbolic function of certain furniture. They don't really mind if it's on the left or on the right or in the middle. They just want to get things done. And so for those people, I had a different pitch. And that was that the altar right now, and the area around it, is covered in carpet. That was all the rage in the 60s. Oh, carpet. That makes it feel so much more homely. And right now we would say, well, God, what a bad idea. Who puts carpet in the church? I know that I'm offending probably half of my American listeners because they're like carpet in the church. Yes, of course. Everywhere. <laughs> the uglier the better just like in in convention centers in the united states that's just, there's one thing that is for me like t- 
totally weird and Willy Wonka-like. It's the carpet. And it's like in these bright, ugly colors and... Ugh. What is it, Americans, with your carpet everywhere? It's ugly. <laughs> and you know it is. You just think it's normal, but it's not. Anyway, so... Um, I would say uh, the carpet it dates back to the 60s. That was put there 40 years ago. More than 40 years ago. And it is even, it's this, this light gray carpet. It's a weird color. Nowhere in the church you see that color. So it just is ugly. But it's so comfortable when you're standing there and you have this... <laughs> and what, you hear that? that, that that's actually... Uh, water sprayed on all these plants and trees of this uh, uh, outdoor uh, garden uh, store. The thing is, so they're watering all these plants, but they're overdoing it because there's no way to go past this without getting sprayed yourself. Ah, oh, yuck. Okay, now they're, they're... And it's moving. So, ah, crap, that's coming my way. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to run. All right, so now my back is wet. Thank you. Uh, Involuntary showers are not my thing, especially not when it's cold outside and the water is cold as well. Um, So, where was I? Carpet. That carpet, because it's such a light color, is very dirty. And normally when the altar is there and the ambo and the chairs you don't notice that that much but you do see it on camera because i'm zooming in and now that everything they've they are cleaning the church so they removed everything that carpet is it's just i don't think you would get permission to walk on it if this were a restaurant we would be closed on the spot (laughs) so i used that argument i said you know what now that we're cleaning the church why don't we try to find a different solution instead of carpet? Why not retiling that and using stone? And then I found exactly the right person to make that happen. So this morning we were looking at different options. And, well, let's make some options. And let's propose some options and, and, they, and explain why it's much better to go for stone instead of carpet. We can always cover it with, you know... Um, uh, tapestry or whatever if you need to dampen the sound a little bit but it's so much more fitting for a church to have a stone floor instead of carpet and then of course the carpet surrounds that borku protrusion there so i'm saying i said well you know what if we're gonna do this then i think we should get rid of this stone pillar make a nice floor and then create a new location for the for the tabernacle that we place on top of that beautiful floor that we want to make here and and that was just the reasoning that was needed say well you know what that's actually something that we could consider I'm thinking, okay small baby steps baby steps but the pitch if you if you're if you're leading and you want to sell a vision you need to have sometimes a different story for different people because they're sensitive to different aspects of that vision. This is also something that I've needed to learn when it comes to uh, my, my media work in order to get the mandate to 
take initiative in social media and YouTube and television work, I had to sell it to my bishop in a certain way and show the relevance of what I do for his goals and his vision. And also sometimes you have to just explain how my vision of what I think is necessary aligns with his ideals and, and, and goals. And it's not about making up a story. Like in these three different approaches of how to rearrange the church, I've told the truth. I've said this is why I think that you could, you'd, we'd better make some changes. But it's a different story for different people because they have this different uh, sensitivity and, uh, and approach. And well, I think even in communication, it's, it's usually... I, I mean, if I make a Star Wars video, I'm not going to reach an audience uh, of gardeners on YouTube. If I want to reach gardeners, I'm going to do a series about the plants on Naboo. And then maybe I will reach, I will sell Star Wars to some gardening fans because Naboo is a beautiful planet and full of beautiful gardens. You see, so it's, it's all about translating the vision into something that can be aspiring for the people that you want to uh, move in your direction. Or that you want to join your cause is probably a better way to, to put it. It's not about manipulating people, but it's about making your vision appealing to different groups of people. So that is another thing that I have to do. And that takes a lot of time because it's, uh, there are a ton of different generations and sensibilities in our Catholic Church. And what works for one community may not be that attractive to another community. The same is true with my colleagues in the pastoral team. Some of them are priests, some of them are lay people, some of them are deacons. They all have their own angle. But you still need to find common ground. You need to have that vision, even though a lot of them were just used to do work in a certain way. Everybody has his own kind of... uh, natural environment where they feel happy and where they feel accepted and the same is true for me there are communities where I love to go and where I feel that they do appreciate my style or uh, the way in which I celebrate mass there are a few not many but there are a few communities where I don't feel that where I don't feel welcome or or uh, respected Um, and I'm usually quite reluctant to go there and if possible I even avoid it because I know that there's just no match. I don't have much in common. My vision of my work and also the church is so different, so divergent from certain communities um, that you can't really help each other. So sometimes leadership also means stepping away from what I call dead horses. How to, how to move a dead horse? Well, you can pull, you can push. It's not going to move because it's too heavy. And sometimes, is it, I'm using here a Dutch, a Dutch saying or a Dutch uh, symbol, symbol. I'm not sure if it exists in English, but it's just no, no use pulling a dead horse. It's not going to move. And so leadership also means to be realistic about who uh, you can convince but also be ready to take your losses when it comes to 
the vision. Sometimes people will not share, join you. But sometimes people will not really share your ideals. And that's possible. I don't say it's always legitimate because I feel that if you're part of a certain community, in this case the Catholic community, you're supposed to have at least common ground on the most important things. If you don't have that, you should ask yourself if you still want to belong to the Catholic Church. It's very simple. It's been like this for the 2,000 years that the Church exists. Even Jesus is very realistic. He tells his apostles at one point, when everybody's walking away, so Jesus is preaching about uh, the bread of life. And so he's telling you, only if you eat my body and drink my blood you will have life uh, eternal in you or something like that. Um, I'm not very... uh, (laughs) Don't quote me on this. (laughs) But you know what I mean. That's that passage where, like, most of the people that listen to Jesus are scandalized. Like, who can listen to this guy? He's nuts. Eat eat his body and drink his blood. What the heck is this? You know, as long as he tells us stories about a king and his vineyard, that's fine. We understand that. But eating his body and blood, what the? And so they walk away in droves. So it's one of those moments where you realize that even Jesus was not, he was the son of God, and even he could not force people into joining his vision or understanding what he said. And then he turns to his apostles And we don't know the exact context. Maybe the apostles themselves were also a little bit scandalized by what Jesus said. And then he asks them, do you want to go too? You want to go away? He gives them literally the option of walking away. And then Peter says to Jesus, but Lord, to whom should we go? Shall we go? Uh, So uh, what I think is so important about that passage and inspiring is that Jesus knows that leadership means that you can lead the way, but you can't force people to follow you. So it's, it's a leadership like a shepherd. You know what's good for your flock, but you can't force the sheep to follow you. You hope that they do, but there will always be sheep that get lost. And then you can, of course, try to find them if they are lost maybe beyond their fault. You can try to, to protect them against the wolves. But if the, if a, a sheep doesn't want to follow you, you have to let them go. Or, well, search for them, etc. But if they don't want to be found, you cannot find them. You cannot save those that don't want to be saved. So uh, that is... That is uh, Fight the battles that you know you can win. That's a cliche. But it is true. Don't put your energy into trying to convince everyone to share your point of view. That's true on Facebook as well. I see all these flame wars. Like, every time Trump says something, like, half of the, of my followers are like, Oh, that's awesome. And another, oh, come on. And then they try to convince each other. And then they're scandalized that the other person doesn't, doesn't understand. As well, that, that rarely happens. <laughs> when have you been convinced differently from what you already thought by reading something on Facebook? Right? Well, so why would you bother? You can make your own decisions of where, what you believe in, where you want to go. Of course, you have to be open 
to, to I, I, I hope you are that if, if someone has good arguments that you uh, change your mind and I'm not saying that you shouldn't defend what you stand for but ultimately if someone still doesn't want to join you or believe you or whatever let them go you, you know, otherwise you're going to just have a burnout before you know it and that, that is one of my flaws actually that I always want total consensus and I'm very unhappy if there's even if there's just one or two people that don't agree with me or or don't share my vision and uh, it's kind of those of you that have kind of my, the same disposition where you really want to help people and please them and make them happy you can have 300 people that 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 applaud you and 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 or praise you or uh, are th- super enthusiastic about what you do and there are these two or three reactions on social media or in your inbox and they say ah oh, it's just rubbish i hate what you do and oh you're a terrible priest and those are the ones that keep you up at night i have to say that that has diminished tremendously um, and also in the parish, I quickly realized once I was making these more drastic changes, and I uh, also really marked my own boundaries. Um, I actually noticed that if people disagreed with me, I felt empowered. Because I was like, now I'm doing something right. I'm making a real change because people are protesting. And it's just a few people, but still, uh, I know that that is bound to happen if it doesn't happen then you're probably not doing much if it doesn't also sometimes incite people to protest and to disagree and and, and with all disagreements and criticism you always have to ask yourself to a certain point of course uh, is there some truth in there maybe I am going too fast and so in this process that would be my last point that I've learned in, when it comes to leadership you always have to be ready to change to maybe abandon something that you wanted change course a course correction is very important you know if you want to go to hyperspace and you haven't done your calculations and then this obnoxious golden droid tells you the odds of flying into an asteroid you can say well never tell me the odds or you can say well you know what maybe we should do another calculation because I don't want to die right now. So, and, and that is, I think, what's so important of, uh, of good leadership knows when to listen and know when to take more time. And don't, it's important to not see that as a defeat um, or, or uh, that you messed it up or whatever, but it, but it is necessary course correction sometimes and and you always have to weigh it because there are people that will always say you're going too fast i don't don't think we should do that um people always step on the brakes as a as an initial impulse if you notice that that is happening and you know that that is a pattern you have to always weigh that okay is this the same criticism that they always give everyone just because they don't like change or they don't like you, which is also possible and totally legit, well, maybe you should just step over it and ignore it. Don't try to win people over. But sometimes people may tell you, or se- especially if several people tell you, you're going too fast, or, hmm, 
Yeah, you may think that's a good idea, but have you thought of? Or maybe they're not able to to formulate it like that, and maybe they'll just be vicious and say, Oh, that's you're an idiot. I hate you. <laughs> maybe they tell you that because they don't have the words or the diplomacy to put it in a different in a different way and maybe 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 the reason that they tell you that is because you're going too fast or because you're not approaching it in the right way so always be willing to learn willing to course correct but never abandon the vision never uh, betray your own goals just for the sake of keeping everyone happy because if you want to keep everyone happy you're going to be the most unhappy person on the planet That's one of the examples that I've seen several times in my own life and also with colleagues that those that don't want to pick a fight with anyone and they don't get anywhere. And ultimately, it will be an open war because if there's one thing that people need, it's leadership based on vision and mandated leadership. And if they don't have it, then everybody becomes a leader. And if you have multiple captains on the bridge, your enterprise is going to crash into the first planet they, it, it encounters. Good afternoon. So, those are my leadership lessons. I didn't plan on sharing this, but now that I'm thinking of it, it's actually quite interesting what I've learned in this past week. It's not something that I've learned this week, but now that I go through all these aspects, I do realize that every aspect was part of, uh, of the work and of my experience this past week. So hopefully this kind of confirms you in your own uh, life when in, in situation where you have to take the lead. Um, maybe you've learned something. Maybe this is all kind of, uh, you already know this, but then consider this to be confirmation of what you already thought it was. And maybe you totally disagree with me and you're wondering why you're listening to this podcast. I would say, well, if you wonder why you're listening to this podcast, I also wonder why you're doing that. Go find something that you really enjoy and that empowers you. <laughs> Don't waste your time on this Father Roderick from the Netherlands. He's just a guy with a microphone. Anyway, thank you for your time and thank you so much for your support by taking the time to listen and to think about uh, this uh, pray for me pray for the world for your local church and parishes and people you know we're all trying to find our way in these in this this asteroid field of invisible viruses that are flying around a lot of Star Wars references in this uh, this episode and above all stay healthy be careful and uh, we'll talk soon take care and God bless